Well, well, well. Welcome, everybody. Welcome back. Uh, this is Noah Randolph, teaching pastor here for Wayfarers Christian Church. And Welcome to the Wednesday deep dive <laughs> on a cold December Wednesday today. Yeah. And uh, it got cold really quickly, and uh, I could definitely uh, feel it as I was walking my dog. Uh, I normally like walk my dog like most uh, most nights, and uh, it definitely like dropped to the point that I was like wearing a scarf and like was all decked out in like three layers of clothing. So still cold. <laughs> <laughs> you like the cold weather, no? Oh, I love the cold. I will say I love the cold. Uh, I know a lot of people that uh, when cold hits, I think they hate it more than summer. Actually, like most of the people that I've been friends with tend to prefer summer in Memphis to winter. And I am not that person I love winter compared to uh, summer. Uh, so, yeah. Are you in that camp? Uh, I like- used to be. Uh-huh. Um, I think as I'm getting older, I don't know if like the cold just gets to me more. I'm just an old man. The cold gets into my bones. <laughs> <laughs> and I uh, I find myself not enjoying the cold as much as I used to. <laughs> but I, I'm probably more like you. I, I'll, I'll take cold weather over hot weather. So it, it was always the best season, like at coffee shops too. Cause like, oh, yeah, you yeah. Know, you could the always, busy season. Oh everywhere. yeah. The busy season. Cause everybody like wanted a warm latte and you know, uh, there's a lot of, there's a lot of advent too in cold weather, you know, like mm. there, there's just a lot of, uh, uh, reflection and pausing. I feel like in the summer, everybody's like very, Oh, like let's go on vacation and like, let's, let's go do all the 50 things we couldn't do in the fall and spring semester. And you know, this is just so busy. And, uh, when you, the fall and the winter seasons, people are like trying to get their homework done and like they're, they're generally a lot more reflective and meditative. And I don't know. It's, I don't know. Have you ever seen people affected by the seasons? Like they just act act differently for sure. Season, you know, for sure. I think it probably has a lot to do with different people's personalities. Yeah. I've definitely seen that. So remind me, what were we calling the get to know you segment again? Uh, quirky queries. Quirky queries. <laughs> Say that three so. times fast. <laughs> We've kind of already started a little bit, you know. You're right, what, right. What, do you like? Do you like winter? Do you not? Yeah, yeah. Um, but you, you have a, I've you got have one. one for us today. What you got? Um, to know each other. So uh, I'm curious about this one. I don't know if I've ever asked you this one. If I have, forgive me. What is, what would you say is a story, it can be in any medium, TV, movie, book, that you would say is told so well that you still today remember that story with emotion, you know, or any type of like, uh, it doesn't have to be emotion, just like, that was awesome. It's it's very memorable. Like, yeah, very memorable story, something that you would say, you know, uh, it's like the creme de la creme of good storytelling, you know? Right. Um, and uh, I feel like it would be, uh, you know, a fast one if you said the Bible or any story in the Bible. Right, so I'm right. Go- I'm going we'll go to, ahead and, and... I'll go, go ahead and say that, like, uh, <laughs> the Bible's off the table. <laughs> so a story besides the Bible that you think, I think is really, really well told. Mm-hmm. Um, hmm. I have kind of a... A quirky answer, mm. and then maybe more serious one. Okay, but I do remember. I always really enjoyed SpongeBob, the yeah, show, yeah. Uh-huh. you know, the cartoon. And I have distinct memories of. There's one memory in particular I remember where I sat at um, a Chili's table, like Chili's, like the restaurant, with my parents, mm-hmm. eating some mozzarella sticks. I was probably like nine or something. Mm. And I just told them in detail every joke and component. And like just, I spent like 30 minutes retelling an entire series of SpongeBob episodes that I had just seen like right before we had come to dinner. Mm. All the details, all the jokes, all the punchlines, everything in perfect detail. And I just remember my dad kind of stepping aside and being like, this is kind of crazy. Like after I was done, he's like, do you realize that you just like from memory told me the entire plot and premise and everything of these couple episodes of SpongeBob? <laughs> if you've, if you've watched SpongeBob, it was the episodes where, uh, uh, they're, they're trying to sell chocolate and, uh, there's the, there's like a, the, the, 
the like climactic scene everybody references all the time is where they there's this guy that's like angry and he's just like chocolate chocolate and he's like screaming and like chasing after them it's a, it's a whole thing <laughs> that particular episode i just told them completely from me so whether it's like a master or like a master course in storytelling i don't know that it, i would say <laughs> that but it it still sticks in my head to this day that i remembered all of the details yeah. of that spongebob story huh and I still feel that way about a lot of those episodes. Adrienne, my wife, she grew up not watching any SpongeBob, and it's so funny how many times I'll have to like explain explain an entire plot point of a of an episode so that she can catch a reference <laughs> that I'm trying to make at a particular point in time. Um, so I think that's like a it's it's funny, but I think that's like an underrated. I think the people who write SpongeBob were like <laughs> really good storytellers <laughs> because I still remember a lot of those details. Um, and a lot of those stories from hmm. all of those different episodes, even like years later. And it's like a cultural thing. Like that's part of the reason the SpongeBob memes are everywhere Yeah, is because like everybody yeah. knows those references. It really and knows those kind of makes the nineties a bit in the early two thousands. Yeah. 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 Huh. yeah. They're like just stories that everybody has. They're like quick, simple stories that everybody references. They're really funny. The, the memes make sense because everybody knows the stories. So I don't think they get enough credit. They're really good storytellers. That's fair. That's uh, fair. <laughs> so that's as, your quirky. Yes, that's uh, that's kind of my more quirky one. As far as just more impactful storytelling that really made an impact on me, mm-hmm. I think I've mentioned this in another episode before, but there's um, one of my favorite movies is a movie called Up in the Air with uh, has George Clooney and Anna Kendrick in it. Mm. And... Um, it was the first time I remember watching a movie that wasn't like a blockbuster, you know, it's not like a yeah. big, big budget. Like it's like an indie film, yeah, like yeah, George yeah. Clooney mm-hmm. and stuff, but it's still like a, like a low budget indie film. Mm-hmm. So there's like no special effects. There's nothing crazy. The cinematography is really good, but there's nothing like incredible or amazing in it mm. to draw you in. It only can draw you in through like the storytelling and how good yeah. the story is. and I just remember being immediately sucked in and it's still one of my favorite movies to this day I still recommend what's it like the plot it's, it's complicated um, but it's basically about uh, George Clooney plays the main character he's a guy that um, works for a particular company uh, and other companies other uh, yeah organizations will hire this company to to come in and fire people hmm. so like if your company is doing really bad and you have to let a whole bunch of people go but you as a boss are like too much of a wimp to have that conversation with all your employees you hire george clooney's company george clooney comes in and he just like tells people they're fired and huh. he just does that day in and day out for years um and it's kind of about that. It's really interesting. Interesting. So huh. I might have to go watch this. Yeah, I recommend it. It's yeah. still one of my favorite movies. Huh. That, 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 the The reason I thought it was such a good story is because it relies purely on storytelling and character and plot and hmm. dialogue. And it doesn't have any like big budget blockbuster stuff to keep your interest. Hmm. And I've always really enjoyed that. I thought that was really cool, especially in movies. Hmm. So what about you what's a like a story that's always caught your attention yeah i so i mean you you it's hard because like i think different stories hit you differently at different points in your life you know Mm -hmm. Uh, i honestly think that's one of the reasons why you know the bible can be so life-giving is because you know you you experience it differently as you grow uh so stories oftentimes that you know you read sometimes as a kid or hear about as a kid don't mean anything and then like as an adult, then they mean so much to you. Um, and it's a toss up. It's really a toss up because, you know, I've, I, I really, really, really want to go with my gut and just say horse and his boy from, uh, uh, the Narnia, the Narnia stories. Yeah. Um, just because as a kid, it meant nothing to me, you know, and it means so much to me now. Um, but if, if I were to, if I were to rate it on just masterful storytelling and all like the things that I've learned and all the like literary criticisms and things, it wouldn't 
be at the top, but it's just like me personally. I feel like, uh, that story in particular, uh, has more, you know, it's the one that most people don't really, I feel like jive with the most when they read the Chronicles. Right. right. You know, it's funny. Um, and there, it, it, there's so much in it that's really well hidden, you know, mm-hmm. uh, just really well, uh, thought through in terms of, um, depression, mental illness. Uh, there's a, there's a lot there that's really under the surface to it. And, uh, I don't know. It, it, it's just one of those tales that you really don't know what's there until you really start looking for it. And you know what, what those emotions feel like already. And then so you have to live a little, you have to you have lived to really enjoy it, you know? Yeah. And I don't know, I don't know if I've come across a story, uh, like that before where I don't know if I've ever experienced a story where I've read it and been like, Oh, that was a cool story, you know, and then come back to it 20 years later and read it and have been in tears, you know, like it's like one of those things where, uh, and to be fair, like, I don't know if I've read many tales where I've experienced them as a kid and then experienced them as an adult. And that's happened. Um, so, you know, my pool of stories that that's happened with is very small, but still I would say, I'd say that that one probably more than most, uh, it was just the sheer, uh, jump from, Oh yeah, this is a story about someone that like is never in Narnia and is just trying to send a message and warn the people of Narnia that it, and then an attack is intimate, um, to, Oh, this is a story about like how to, uh, handle not being the hero and how to handle not being the, the, how to handle a life in which you're always like treated not well, you know? And, uh, um, I don't know. It's just, so you like it. You think it's a good story because it has layers to it? Yeah, yeah. It's like the whatever whatever you you whatever your personal life is, you put that into the story and it and it speaks to you in some way because of that, you know? Um and there's just so many quirky scenes. Like it has a total like uh, twin plot, you know, right. where it's like two uh, two people are uh, right. the twins. I remember that. Yeah, and like uh, twin plots are fun, where it's just like you you, you trick people because you both look the same. And I don't know. There, there's just some there's there's an innocence to it as well that uh, um, I, I still to this day uh, think that Avarice, one of the main characters in the story, she's uh, uh, she's like one of the best written characters that lewis ever wrote um and she i think ends up becoming uh re-envisioned until we have faces and uh one of the characters until we have faces acts a lot like avarice Hmm. um and uh erevis not avarice (laughs) that's different Hmm. um but uh yeah no i there's there's a lot of good good in that story so i'll go with that one for now yeah it sounds like you're saying you like it because it has layers to it Uh and like there's connections and details that you can learn later and you know, yeah, it's more than just surface level stuff. Yeah. It's, to, it's way more. Yeah. And I kind of like how well hidden it is. You know, yeah. I think that's what I appreciate more than anything is just how well hidden it is. Um, cause you really could read it as a kid and not, not, <laughs> right. you know, it's just a story about a horse and his boy, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, no, I like it. Oh, that's great. Um, all right, we got a few minutes. We usually we've been we had been we had been doing two icebreakers. So I asked one. Do you have one yeah, apart from the it's a cult? simple one? Mm-hmm. Maybe not though. May, maybe hard to answer. Oh, but a simple one that I've been thinking again a lot about. Mm-hmm. It used to be a really simple answer for me. Now it's a lot more complicated. Uh, do you have a favorite Bible verse? Hmm. And if so, what is it? It's usually what I'm I'm reading at the moment. (laughs) You know, I know that sounds like a cheesy answer or whatever, but no, it's usually, uh, there's, there's too much in the Bible for you to all take it in at once, Mm -hmm. you know? Um, and verses change with you as you grow. Uh, and so, you know, a verse that might've meant something to you at some point in your life because you're going through this doesn't mean something anymore because you're not going through that or whatnot. So, um, 
I would say in my season of life right now, um, hmm. I would, I, I would say that, that, um, that verse from Thessalonians that I mentioned earlier has become sort of deeply meaningful to me in a lot of ways where, um, uh, he asks all of the Thessalonians, make it uh, your ambition to lead a quiet life, to mind your own business and to work with your hands, just as he told you. Um, that verse has often been the thing that has gotten me through sometimes when I wanted recognition for something, you know, mm-hmm. and wanted like more affirmation of what I'm doing and uh, uh, wanted like praise and uh, that verse has been sort of a something that's kept me working forward in uh, in my life where I don't need that praise. And I, I, you know, like it's a call to like keep your head down and just keep doing what you're doing, you know, and 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 don't try and glory like it's for his glory. It's not for your glory. Um, and don't like necessarily seek that. So that that's probably been the verse that stuck out to me the most in this part of my life has been, uh, you know, 2020 is, uh, uh, very much making everybody kind of live that life, right. Where Mm -hmm. you're, uh, having to live a kind of quieter life through zoom and, you know, different things. And, uh, you're not getting as noticed. You're not in as much social situations and, you know, you're just, uh, you are in a sense, uh, having to live this quietness that right. wasn't wasn't happening before, and uh, I don't know that that to me uh, has really affected me and has given me a bit of hope that like this is something that God wants. That's and- a good one. I like that one a lot. Um, that was my phone background for a while too, mm. um, because I think so much of our Christian environment and our culture maybe that both of us were raised in, especially in our youth groups, we're all about like, you got to change the world for Jesus. You got to save as many lost souls out there as you need to yeah. you make a difference. You got to this, that, and the other. And I just like the contrast that that verse says that just says, make it your ambition to lead a quiet life, work with your hands, <laughs> just kind of be like a, a faithful person yeah. who doesn't seek a lot of praise. And if you do that, you're still being faithful to God. You don't have to like change the world and save a million souls and all this kind of stuff. So I think it's, it's a good balance to the same thing you were talking about. I feel it a lot of times too, which is just that sort of um, desire to be recognized for the things that, that you do. And different yeah. Things like that. So yeah. I like that. I think it's a good one. What about you? I'm curious. Uh, well, like I was saying, it was, it used to be easy. It's a little more complicated now because, um, I'm a bigger fan these days of not just taking individual verses and reading yeah, them, yeah, but yeah, like yeah. taking whole sections. Yeah. That's kind of, that's kind of surprised you asked me the question. Cause yeah, but I've kind of flip flopped on it. So like I used to be like a, I was the Bible memory verse guy in mm-hmm. my youth group. Like all the kids in youth group used to like talk about how I had so many Bible verses memorized. Mm. So they would always come and ask me what's a good Bible verse for this thing. And I would like spout off a few or something like that. Um, the thing that, and then it changed where I was like, no, I, I don't want to just take individual verses out of context. I want to understand them mm. as a whole. But I think recently I've started to understand the value of like poetry as just like poetic phrases and just small little things as opposed to prose, like as opposed to like a big speech with lots of logic and reason and argument. Mm. Sometimes I think it's more moving for human beings to just have like a, a phrase, a, a beautiful phrase of just a few words put together beautifully that can really give you meaning and that you can infuse with more meaning. I think that's one of the cool things about poetry is the words end up being vague enough that you can kind of take them a lot of different directions. Yeah. And as I've started to understand the value of that, I think I've started to understand that a lot of the Bible fits more into the poetry category than it does the prose category. Mm. (laughs) And so because of that, I'm kind of coming back around on it. I like having individual Bible verses. So 
Uh, definitely if you're reading Proverbs, it's intended. <laughs> yeah. And so it's funny. One of my recent favorites, one that I think about a lot, is from Proverbs. Mm. Interestingly enough, now that you bring that up. Um, but it just simply says, man plans his ways, but the Lord directs his steps. Mm-hmm. And... <laughs> Some people really hate that verse because it has like all these like, you don't have any free will. God's going to decide everything in the end anyways, connotations to it. A lot of Calvinist friends I have love that verse. Yeah, yeah. Man plans his ways, but the Lord directs his steps. But I think the reason it's been encouraging to me is I've made a lot of really horrible decisions in my life. And I am comforted and encouraged by the fact that as much planning and machinations and like thoughts that I have about my ideas and my goals and my things that I'm wanting to do, um, God is still the one that's directing how mm. things are going to go. And I can, uh, that's, that should be comforting to me that God is the one that's still in control in the end. And it has been comforting to me kind of in a, mm. uh, you can lean on it and trust in it kind of way, which is that the Lord directs your steps. So, Hmm. um, yeah, that's my most recent favorite. Um, but yeah, I don't know. Like there's, I could go, we we could go on. Yeah, no, 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 no. I totally get it. I totally get it. I think, uh, I'm curious. Uh, do you, do you see that as like, do you, do you tend to, I've, I've asked this question a lot of times with different people in book clubs and things like that. Uh, do you tend to think that when, uh, someone is like, did a good deed for you, that they did a good deed for you? Or do you tend to think that it was God through them that did a good deed? You know? Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. It's in a weird way, both. I, Always, I, I personally, especially recently, I'm mm-hmm. trying to really, really make sure that I recognize the people that I have as friends. I always try to acknowledge the person, like thank them for it. And yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. But I definitely still end up going home and thanking God for that thing that happened, that mm-hmm. person that helped me out, that good thing that happened, all that kind of stuff. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, and I think that's what that verse is kind of saying. In that's what I'm way. saying. Yeah. There's a, there's a, there's a it's confluence. Kind of a, there's, there's a both and aspect yeah. to man's going to plan his ways. Man's going to decide what he's going to do. The Lord's going to direct his steps and they can kind of both go hand in hand. And personally for me, it's just been comforting and encouraging to understand that you have this like safeguard that you can hold on to, which is that uh, God is directing yeah Thanks. yeah because because i think personally well. for me i end up emphasizing the latter half of that voice verse more than the first half of that verse and so i i tend to not give people as much credit for the good deeds and tend to give god way much more credit which i mean can be good in some regards but it, it means that oftentimes you i i don't think about the fact that they spent that much time, you know, or effort to do that thing or whatever. And so I was just curious because that, that verse seems to, like you were saying, uh, straddle that line very well in between those two. But, um, yeah. Yeah. It's one of those, uh, difficult areas that you find a lot in the Bible, which is where seem things that seem to be on like opposite ends that seem to be like, going one against one another mm-hmm. um, are both in the Bible. I think predestination and like does God direct things or do humans have free will is one of those ideas where depending on which end you end up on, you can find a lot of Bible verses that say yeah, yeah. one and you can find a lot of Bible verses that kind which, of imply which the is other. Kind of like the topic we're talking about today, right? Where we've got, we've yeah. got one that we're uh, talking about where, uh, it's one of those contradictions that yeah, one show of those... up where it seems like the Bible is saying two different things or like mm-hmm. sort of speaking out of two sides of its mouth, you know? Um, and I, I do think that's something that comes up a lot and that's something that we really want to not shy away from, mm-hmm. I guess. That's what I've noticed in my own experience. Lots of times people have a tendency to emphasize one or the other, whichever, the, whichever side they like more. Yeah. So if you like the human free will side, you're going to talk about how man plans his ways. If you like the God is in control side, you're going to talk about how the Lord directs his steps. Mm. 
Um, and there is a value, I think, sometimes in learning to sit in that tension and, and understanding both. Mm. And so today, specifically, we wanted to talk about a topic that we've been referencing a little bit in our whole Advent series um, that is referenced in the uh, the prophetic passage that we have been referencing a lot in this Advent series, which is in Malachi uh, chapter 4, at the mm. very end of um, the book of Malachi, there is a prophecy that foretells the 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 coming of Elijah again, the prophet mm. Elijah. He's going to return again. He's going to prepare a way for the Messiah. And one of the signs Malachi says to look for, so that you know that this is this is coming and this is about to happen, is the um, the fact that parents will be you. Uh, parents' hearts will be turned towards their children and children's hearts will be turned towards their parents. And personally, both me and you know, we, we've been talking about this for a few weeks, that passage connected with us a lot yeah. because this year has been a year that's been so divisive for so many people. And because we end up focusing a lot on, on intergenerational things and, and conflicts mm-hmm. between generations, we have noticed that this year has been one of those years where parents and children seem to have been more divided yeah, than ever. Yeah. Um, I've seen it with politics. I've seen it with COVID. I've seen it with <laughs> all of the various things that are going on. Uh, you see these like hard lines being drawn often along generational lines and you see the children ending up on one side, <laughs> the parents ending up on the other. And personally, we both have a desire to really see um, reconciliation between generations and a lot of different sides on those issues because we do think it's a sign of the kingdom of God. You know, that prophet Malachi says, when you see this, that's when you know the kingdom's at hand or whatever. And, um, and so we think it's important to, to emphasize that. But what's, so that's what we've been preaching about. It's been like two Sundays now where I basically, Mm -hmm. first I talked about just that general reconciliation of families. And then last Sunday I talked specifically about John the Baptist and him being uh, that Elijah character that is Mm -hmm. foretold in that prophecy. And it's really cool when the angel is like telling John the Baptist's dad about John the Baptist, he references that same passage in Malachi where he Mm. talks about the children's hearts being, or the parents' hearts being turned towards towards their children. So it's all those layers of connection. It's really cool. Um, So it's, it's cool and it's easy to preach on these days. You know, it's one of those that'll preach kind of situations, you know, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Let's bring the generations together. But it was funny. You were talking to me a few days ago that you had a similar hang up about that passage that I actually did when I was preparing both of those sermons, Mm -hmm. which is how do we square that promise of generations being brought together with some of Jesus's own specific words about how he is going to divide, (laughs) you know, uh, Jesus kind of references specifically the ways that he, um, has come to bring division. Yeah. So, um, yeah, why don't you bring up one of the passages where uh, Jesus seems to be anti-Malachi for? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, um, it, it, one of the sections where he really seems to be um, acknowledging the fact that he is going to bring some level of uh, of division, and it is one of those things mm-hmm. where it does seem like he's saying, like you said, it's very kind of anti. <laughs> Malachi for it seems like he's actually saying the opposite <laughs> yeah of what Malachi says so uh I thought I had it pulled up sorry give me one second I gotta find it real quick oh no you're good the uh um uh interesting thing I've found about uh having Jesus come on the scene is oftentimes he does and says things that are very uh, different from even what the Old Testament prophetic books thought and said. Uh, And I think one of the things that you do have to really like boil down on is uh, squaring what he says um, in some passages. Um, 
and uh, it can be difficult <laughs> sometimes because he doesn't always, I, I feel like sometimes we have this view that Jesus like says things where he, uh, well, he was just like a really nice guy and a really nice teacher and just did all these nice things. Um, but uh, when you start looking at a lot of the things that he said um, specifically, um, sometimes they're really hard to uh, deal with. So that's kind of what we're hoping to do today is really uh look at this verse in particular and, and really address this one. So you got it? Yeah. It was one of those things where I, um, it was one of, one of my very first lessons and like sermons that I actually taught as a student here at Mid South where, mm-hmm. um, we're broadcasting from, uh, was basically on why Jesus wasn't as nice as a lot of people think he was, <laughs> um, and why he was, um, actually somebody that, uh, ended up turning people away and angering people mm. more than um more than I think a lot of us realized. Now I don't sorry, I don't have it pulled up yet. It's uh here it is. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> you know, only took like ten minutes to find. <laughs> but here we get a good idea of exactly what I'm talking about. Uh it's in Luke chapter twelve, starting in verse forty nine. And Jesus says, I have come to bring fire on earth and how I wish it was already kindled, but I have a baptism to undergo and what constraint I am under until it is completed. Do you think that I came to bring peace on earth? No, I tell you, but division from now on, there will be five in one family divided against each other, three against two and two against three. They will be divided father against son and son against father mother against daughter and daughter against mother, Mother mother-in-law against daughter-in-law and daughter-in-law against mother-in-law. Hmm. So now we have a problem. (laughs) (laughs) It certainly seems like it. Um, And it was funny because like you mentioned, both me and you immediately thought of this passage when we read the Malachi one, when Mm -hmm. we were reading the Malachi one, we were like, wait, so Malachi says that, this age of the Messiah is going to bring parents and children together. Mm-hmm. But Jesus himself says, no, 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 no. I'm going to divide <laughs> parents and children. And it, it's one of those where it's like it to, to explain what this means, we could go on for like, well, it, we could, we could really go into detail. I think what we it. figured out was there's multiple ways to explain it. Yeah. Right. You know, and, and, and I will say we both kind of think in this way that we're kind of, um, we are still kind of speculating, you know, like, a little bit. But both I mean, of us yeah. have, yeah. have thought about this, but we're not like hardcore, like mm-hmm. for sure. This is exactly how to explain the seeming contradiction between yeah. those two different things. Um, but we talked about it a little bit and we mm-hmm. do have some ways that we think you can kind of bring those two together. Um, did you want to start with the near and f- far fulfillment one? Yeah. Why don't you explain that a little okay. bit? Okay. No. Um, so one of the most traditional ways that oftentimes old Testament prophecies get explained in the Bible is what's called the near and far fulfillment in which oftentimes they'll say that certain passages in the old Testament have fulfillment in Jesus's time, you know, um, have like, uh, so like Malachi four does mention like a Messiah coming and sort of, uh, um, I haven't read Malachi four recently, so correct me if I'm wrong on anything I'm about to say here, mm-hmm. but I'm under the impression that, uh, Malachi four is a very messianic, uh, prophecy. And, uh, so there's a lot in there that is prophesying Jesus's coming. Right. Right. And, uh, well, and I would say specifically Malachi four is most directly a end of the exile prophecy. Mm-hmm. So it's more of a, like the exile will be over. The kingdom will be reestablished, but that reestablishment of the kingdom is something that really closely connects with okay. the Messiah. Yeah. And a lot of things. And like I said, um, in, in the gospels, when John the Baptist or various prophets that it come you know, John the Baptist as the prophet that comes to foretell the coming of the Messiah. Mm. When he's referenced, they directly connect it to Malachi. So, that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. There's definitely messianic overtones to it. Yeah. So it's pro- prophesying that the kingdom will come. And a lot of, uh, a lot of interpreters will say, okay, this happened 
in the time of Christ. The kingdom did come. He died on the cross. He's bringing the kingdom of heaven in, and all of this is happening. But certain elements of the prophecy, they'll say, are waiting for an eventual uh, coming. And usually they relate this to the second coming of Christ um, when that will happen. So uh, they'll say, okay, uh, Jesus did come and did bring the kingdom. And that was the near fulfillment was uh, that. And then the far fulfillment will be something that happens way on later when Jesus comes back the second coming. That's when children and uh, parents will be fully united and uh, they'll be able to enjoy community with one another in a wholesome way again. Uh, And so what Jesus is saying when he comes on is he's saying, I am the near fulfillment of this prophecy and I'm not fulfilling everything in mm-hmm. this prophecy i'm only fulfilling certain aspects of it that re- relate to the the uh uh kingdom uh coming and you'll have to wait until my second coming to uh enjoy that benefit of uh children and mothers being yeah you had certain problems with that viewpoint and well it's something that gets applied to a lot of prophecy in general uh-huh. you know yeah. all, all of the prophecy in the old testament and even some of the prophecies that come up in the new testament mm-hmm. um it kind of has this like partial versus like full fulfillment idea to it yeah. too, where a lot of people will talk about certain parts of that have like a near fulfillment as mm-hmm. in like in just a few years, this stuff is going to come true. But then other parts of it have like a far fulfillment as in like centuries or decades right. or millennia later is when these things are finally going to be fulfilled. And so a lot of people treat um, almost all the prophecies in the Bible that way. So there's like a near fulfillment, which is within a few years and then a far fulfillment, which is like way in the future. Mm. And so usually when you look up this contradiction of like, well, I don't know, it doesn't seem like children and parents are united yet. Mm-hmm. Um, a simple explanation that a lot of people will give is like, well, Jesus is talking about how in the de- in the here and now, in that day and age that he is in, there's going to be some division between parents. But in the in the in the final age to come and the end of it all in, in heaven, that's when parents will be reconciled with their children and when everything that Malachi promised it'll it'll have a far fulfillment right at the at the very like far end of time mm-hmm. basically in heaven yeah um my issue with that is just um that you know we could do a whole nother episode specifically on on this yeah, the, so the, I, the I five the five minute version the, yeah yeah <laughs> uh, we'll, we'll try to just even do just like the five second version of my main issue with that which is just that uh, that concept is very arbitrary mm. and it kind of opens it up to a lot of people just saying like, oh, well, this isn't really, uh, th- this is talking about the future. Whereas this was talking about in the immediate and people mm-hmm. like get to pick and choose which aspects of the prophecies. So you get to, apply. you kind of get to read the Bible and get to decide what got fulfilled in 70 AD and yeah. what got fulfilled or what gets to be fulfilled later on. And it can be kind of this arbitrary thing where the reader gets to decide. Yeah. It feels what, that where, way a lot mm-hmm, to me. You yeah. Know, it feels like where uh, I'll be talking to people and they will just be, and, and any contradiction or anything that I bring up that kind of <clears throat> would uh, be a contradiction to the, to the thing that they're arguing, they'll just be like, Oh, well, you know, that that's just because it's not going to be true till later, mm. till sometime later. So you um, see it as kind of an easy out. It's an easy out. It's a cop out. Mm-hmm. And in general, I find this with a lot of things, a lot of like simple, easy answers to these difficult passages mm-hmm. that seem to contradict each other um, are helpful for a time mm-hmm. and they're easy and they're convenient and they seem like they're really true. But in the long run, you're going to eventually find that they're not going to be satisfying enough for you. They're not going to be robust. They're not mm-hmm. really going to help get you through. And um, there is, a, I think, to get the really robust stuff that really helps you truly live your life the way you're supposed to, you need um, to sit in the tension sometimes a little longer and don't just cop out for the easy answer that seems to make a lot of it make sense. Mm. Um and so that's something I push a lot of people towards. There are a ton of easy an- answers out there. There's a there's a really uh, cool cool and not cool website. I kind of like it. I kind of don't. Um, 
that's just called gotquestions.org. Yeah. 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 You know, I've and been you, to it several sure. times. <laughs> and usually if you Google any of these Bible contradictions or any of these difficulties that that's you the have, answer you'll get. Um, the like top Google uh, thing will always be this gotquestions.org website that's mm. like, here's how we explain how those two go together. And, you know, the church has been around for 2,000 plus years at this point. So we've had a lot of time to come up with nice, clean, easy answers to a lot of these questions. Um, and I find that there are certain people that can just be like, yeah, no, that makes sense. That's a good answer. I'm good with that. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do really think that to get those nice and easy answers sometimes forces you to ignore mm-hmm. other bigger aspects of what's actually being uh said and I, I i just think like i said i just think you're eventually going to come to a point to where those easy answers don't mm. satisfy so you need deeper more robust answers mm. so, so if the near near and far fulfillment doesn't do it for you what is uh, another way that we can look at it <laughs> <laughs> well there's a couple of connections that we made when we were talking about it earlier i think one that is important to make so that we can understand both what malachi is talking about and what jesus is talking mm-hmm. about is this trend that you see in all of the old testament yeah which is um this sort of cyclical uh generational pattern that keeps coming up over and over and over again in mm. the history of israel specifically and it's this pattern where god will do this amazing miraculous thing he will free the people from their Egyptian slavery slavery as Mm -hmm. through, through parting the Red Sea and all this crazy miraculous stuff, or he will um, provide a, uh, a victory to Gideon and his really small army versus this massive Mm -hmm. army, or he will give David uh, victory over Goliath with just one, uh, you know, (laughs) well-placed slingshot, uh, (laughs) you know, all these awesome miracles, all these awesome things, these awesome ways God helps his people and God is faithful. So you'll have one of those sort of situations. And then basically within one generation, almost every single time, the children of those people, basically, the children of those people who saw the miracle will rebel. Rebel. It will often talk about how they will just forget God. They will Mm. forget that any of that even happened and they will just start acting like God's never done anything for them. Hmm. You see it with the Israelites where they just immediately start saying, we should just go back to slavery. You know, Mm. why why can't we just go back to how things were before you see it in the time of Gideon with just like the people being like, there's no miracles. Where are these miracles that you told us about? God doesn't really do anything. God doesn't really care for us. Gideon, in fact, is a part of the, in the book of judges and the book of judges is I think the book that most cements this pattern of God doing things for his people. And then like a generation later, Mm. the people immediately forgetting about it. Yeah. Um, you see that cycle very clearly in the book of judges. Um, and then you see it by the time of the Kings and, and David and Solomon and all of them later Mm. where you have almost immediately after the, you'll have like a faithful King and then immediately after his like kids will be like, horrible, unfaithful to God, idolaters and all this kind of stuff. So it's the cycle that comes up over and over again. And I, I think that at least part of what's being referenced, both with the words Jesus is using and what Malachi is using is it's referencing that trend of the children, the children rebelling rebelling against their parents. Mm -hmm. And part of what I think the like awesome promise of that prophecy in Malachi is is that um that god will make himself known in such a way Mm -hmm. that that the children are going to have to come back to their parents and be like you know what you're right god is the kind of person that you said he was he was gonna be and and we've rebelled and we're sorry that we're rebellious children and we Mm. you know have come back to seeing things the way you you see them so it sounds like you see that prophecy as talking about uh the trend of Israel having a generation and following a generation that's always falling further and further away from God because their children are always rebelling against their parents. And so Malachi, in essence, is saying there will be a day where this doesn't happen anymore, where children will follow their parents and they will grow and they will become mature and they will uh, learn 
with their parents, right? So how does that, if that's the view you take, then how does that coincide with uh, Jesus's words then for for you, you know? Yeah. Well, um, I think <clears throat> that that's a part of the um, the promise of Malachi mm-hmm. in that particular passage is does have a sort of um, final judgment day aspect to it because mm. you know it does say the sun will burn away yeah. the enemy right yeah yeah because a few verses that. before that it basically says the evil people are going to get what's due to them yeah you know like like bad people aren't going to keep getting away with the bad things that mm-hmm. they have done so um that does kind of have a certain um far fulfillment thing like we were talking about yeah, that, yeah, that is implied mm-hmm. in that in that kind of Malachi passage but the reason I bring up that trend you see kind of with Israel and with the children and with their parents is that I do think especially Malachi the work that John the Baptist did I think we have a tendency to read those passages and apply them just to everybody mm. you know all people everywhere and a lot of those passages I think are specifically talking about Israel <laughs> You know, mm. the people of Israel specifically. Okay. And part of the parents and the children that I think is being referenced there is the 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 Israelite children mm. and the Israelite parents will will be reconciled to each other in a certain sense with the coming of the Messiah. What Jesus is referencing is the um the 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 way I think partly that he himself is um, controversial to the world period. Hmm. Uh, he, he even references it in another verse where he says that uh, the world is not going to like you because you are my followers, you know, he right. the disciples mm-hmm. just be ready for the fact that, the world itself is the the current way that the world is, you know, the current structure of things, the current way that things are, are going to be set up against you in some way or another. And, um, so by just being a Jesus follower, you are setting yourself up for the fact that, um, there is going to be some level of disagreement and division. And I think part of what he's saying is that the, um, there are going to be certain people even within families that are going to say, I would rather be on the world side. Mm. And there's going to be certain people that are going to try to be on the Messiah side. And those usual strong units, especially in the ancient Jewish times where families were super close together. Usually those families that are super close together, the message of Jesus is so counter to the message of the world that it's even going to split usually close family units apart. Yeah. So that sounds like two different views. Like the first view you were talking about, uh, was maybe Malachi is talking about the prophecy to Israel and that Jesus is talking about his Christian, uh, family. Um, and so the Christian family is going to, uh, have division because, you know, people that become Christians in a family and people that are not Christians in a family, they're going to have div- division between one another. Right. You know, and that'll turn mother against daughter and all that. Um, but Israel itself, the people of Israel will still grow closer to one another as a result. Um, so that's the first view you mentioned, but the other view, I think that I think I would agree with more, um, is the view you were saying where, uh, it does seem like Jesus's view is he, uh, when Malachi is being fulfilled, it's being fulfilled in his own family, right? Like in the family of the church. Right. Mm -hmm. And so the church and their individual family, you know, if you had an entire family that was all Christians, for instance, they would have hopefully that Malachi, uh, um, fulfillment happening in their lives in, in that time. And, but you know, if outside of that, outside of the family of God, um, Jesus's actions and his ministry will bring destruction and death, right. Um, and division and division. Right. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And so it seems as if, uh, 
it seems as if that's not coming true when you're faced against like uh, someone that isn't a Christian or someone that's not, uh, you know, a family that's half Christian, half not Christian. Um, that, you know, seems to be Jesus's uh, statement that I am going to bring a sword into this, you know, um, I'm going to make make people have to choose, you know, between me and family um, even. And so that does seem to be a part of it, but there also seems to be a part of it in which if all of the family were to choose him, then there does seem to be this Malachi four eventual fulfillment happening in that family. Mm-hmm. Do you think that that is fair or? Yeah, I think, uh, that's like a good, just general concept that we see a lot in the Bible, which is that, to really take advantage of the promises that Jesus is acknowledging, Mm -hmm. you have to be a part of the kingdom Mm. of God, the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of Jesus, a follower of Jesus, you know, um, they're not just like general promises, you Mm. know, but they are promises for people who are citizens of the kingdom specifically. Yeah. Um, and I, I do think that is a good way to, to look at it. Um, there's a there's a particular example of this that I think about all the time um, when it comes to uh, there's a promise in Romans specifically that talks about um, the purpose of suffering, mm-hmm. you know, and uh, it says that your suffering is going to produce perseverance your perseverance is going to produce proven character your proven Mm. character is going to produce hope and it's a hope that's never going to be put to shame a lot of christians have read that passage and been like okay so suffering always has a purpose you know god has a purpose in your suffering you don't suffer pointlessly he's trying to test you produce perseverance He's, he's he's leading somewhere with with your suffering which i think is a good application of what that passage is saying you know it's saying God has a purpose for your suffering. It's not just pointless suffering. The problem is that people have then started to take that passage and apply it to everything. And so this term that I hear all the time is everything happens for a reason. God has a reason you're going through everything. And it's something that Christians use all the time. So any sort of suffering that anybody is going through, whether they are a Christian or not, people will be like, oh, God does everything for a reason. There's a reason for this. There's a reason for your suffering. It's not just pointless suffering. Mm. Um, and my big thing is I don't know that that's actually ever promised. In fact, I think if you are not a part of the kingdom, there's a lot of pointless suffering. Mm. I think the promises for people that are part of the kingdom, God's going to use that suffering for his purposes. But if you're just a person in the world, mm. you're going to go through a lot of pointless suffering. And I think that, I, I think that's pretty defensible that, that, um, uh, as a, as an idea that, um, a lot of people can say, yeah, I've definitely experienced that. I've experienced a lot of suffering in my life that is just pointless suffering that doesn't seem to have a purpose. Mm-hmm. You know, um, I think a lot of people can say that they have experienced that. Um, and so that's why I hate whenever people are like, God does everything for a reason. Everything happens for a reason. Cause I'm mm-hmm. like, no, some things just happen because the world is broken and things are bad. Yeah. Um, whereas the specific promise is that if you're a Christian, the awesome thing is that God is saying, you're going to go through that suffering just like everybody else is going to, but I'm going to use it for something. It's not just going to be pointless. Mm. I'm going to, I'm going to be able to use it for something so that you will see a purpose through that suffering. Mm. And I think that's a really cool promise for Christians, but I wouldn't apply it across the board. And so, to bring it full circle, I think that's part of the position me and you came to that unification of children to their parents mm-hmm. is a promise specifically for the members of the kingdom of God. Mm, yeah. The division that Jesus is talking about between children and their parents is an example of just what happens in the world when Jesus is introduced. Yeah. <laughs> uh, when, 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 you are given the option to follow Jesus or not, Mm -hmm. there's going to be divisions, even amongst family members specifically. You're going to see a lot of those divisions. And yeah, I will say like, uh, I've had, I've seen families that, uh, 
are entirely Christian, and I would qualify them all as uh, defined by their Christian faith, and uh, not just like churchianity Christians that just go to church and then don't do anything else, you know? Um, And uh, those families, they have something to them that uh, does not necessarily show itself in other families, you know? Um, and, uh, I, I, I see that as the Malachi for kind of being fulfilled in that there is, there's sort of a, uh, you were talking about this with me and not in family, but in specifically, but in a church community, when people make the decision to put themselves last and put others first, mm. um, which is a distinctly Christian ideal, there's a community that's formed as a result of that, uh, that really defies the normal expectation, right? Right. You know, and really defies the normal way that community functions. Um, most communities function for the individual receiving many things from the group, you know, and the individual is very focused on how am I satisfied, right? So you think about it in terms of, okay, I'm in this family. How is my mother and my father and my siblings, how are they being good to me? You know, yeah. Yeah. what am I going to get? What, out what of am this? I going to get out of out of this family? You know, are they harming me? Or are they helping me? You know, like and you think in terms of me and how I am involved in this. Right. And, uh, you know, I think the Christian uh, message is that that's not the mentality you have. You have a mentality in which you ask how do I help my mother? How do I help my father? How do I help my siblings? How am I in their lives? Not necessarily, uh, you know, asking the question as frequently, at least, how are they helping me? Um, and I think that's what creates this Malachi, uh, pattern, you know, this prophecy being fulfilled is, uh, when you live out that life in which sometimes even your own political beliefs, uh, are, less important than ministering to your family member, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's the, I think that's the takeaway that you can have, uh, is, uh, um, being selfless even in that, um, and, you know, still standing for what you believe at times, but, uh, having enough of a selfless attitude that I don't have to win this argument right here. You know, yeah. I don't have to win that. You know, I think that's really what's, what's, being prophesied and what I see happen a lot of times in really wholesome Christian families. So yeah. Uh, have you seen when, when seen it's that? done well, uh, you know, that's, that's definitely, I think you catch a glimpse of that, like almost utopian vision that Malachi yeah. is, is, is laying out mm-hmm. of families being brought together. You catch glimpses of it. And both me and you are very committed to this idea, which is that the way you catch glimpses of it is when you kind of follow the example of Jesus. You learn to put your own preferences and your own desires aside, mm-hmm. your own comfort aside sometimes. Yeah. And you learn to think of other people and put other people first. And um, I love that both of these passages seem to, or specifically this Malachi passage, seems to imply that a, an, an awesome way to see that in action is in families specifically. Mm. And so, in general, that's just something we've been pushing for um, in this Advent season, specifically that we're mm-hmm. we're going through. It's it's a time of a kind of somber reflection, a little bit, a time to kind of look forward to and dream about Christmas. Yeah, but to sit in the reality of where things are right now, and I think uh, both of us are just it's it's kind of this 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 one note that we just keep hitting on over these last few weeks, but it's really important to both of us, which is just. Let's try to consider how we can think of others. I would say to all of the other children and younger people who may be in our, our boat, um, really think about how can you serve your parents? How can you think of them? How can you try to understand them? How can you connect with them rather than... Uh, where I think a lot of us end up, which is like, how can I correct my parents on where they're wrong mm-hmm. and all this kind of stuff. And then I think I would say the other way around too, you know, for any, any parents out there who are listening, um, rather than trying to in the same way, kind of correct your kids where they're wrong and, and fix their, 
their theology or their politics or whatever, really try to consider what are the ways that I can and serve them and um, put their needs above my own. And I think if we do that, we really will see the um, the fulfillment of yeah. that prophecy in our own lives. And that's something that I'm really looking forward to. So you got anything else or you think we're good? No, no, I think we're good. Uh, thank you so much, everybody, for uh, tuning in and everything. Absolutely. And, uh, I'm glad to be back after yeah. a week off. For sure. <laughs> for sure. And uh, feel free to, you know, tune in this Sunday, 7 o'clock. Uh, we're going to be continuing our Advent series. Um, I'm particularly excited about just getting a chance to step away from the crazy hustle and bustle mm. of Christmas. And I think the weather we started talking about, you know, it's mm-hmm. cold, it's, it's a little dreary, but I think it's appropriate for Advent. Yeah, it's a nice it is. calm coziness to it. And, uh, it's just going to get us prepped for Christmas. And I think I'm hoping this Christmas will be one of the best ones we've had in a long time, despite however 2020 may have turned out. So yeah. Tune in this Sunday and you can find out a little bit more about that. We'll see y'all later. Thanks, guys. What's up, everybody? This is Nick Griffin. I am uh, the lead pastor here at Wayfarers Christian Church, and I just wanted to thank you for for tuning into our podcast. Listen, if you found this podcast helpful or uh, at least entertaining, would you consider helping us out financially? All the money we receive goes to provide living wages for all our staff, and we would definitely appreciate any support you can give. You can give at wayfarerscc.com slash give. And like I said, We super appreciate the support. Thank you and blessings.